Yes, it's great to be here with you. So as I was thinking about the word I'm about to share this morning, I, I thought of uh, maybe, maybe a helpful opening that you could try. So as you're meeting people, maybe it's at work this week or, or down the street, try this, try this one line or try this opening. Say, like, hey friend, how are you doing with envy? Maybe there's a job you, you'd like but you don't have or possessions you don't have. How are you? You wouldn't do that, right? That would be a terrible, so don't take that as advice, please. Do not start a conversation like that. Because envy is something that tempts all of us. I, I did some thinking and reading about it this week, and apparently among the seven deadly sins that the historic church talks about, like gluttony, greed, apparently it's envy that's most widely experienced and yet the most seldom talked about. So it's like we're all walking around with this, wondering about it, and yet we can't seem to talk about it. It's like this sort of background distracting noise that sort of pokes at us and guides the decisions we make and sort of interferes with our life. I uh, was thinking about a young friend this week. Uh, He moved to Vancouver about a year ago, and uh, he came here to pursue acting. He's from a small community in BC, so he moved to the big city. And as you do in the acting field, your role typically starts as an extra. So as an extra, you tend to stand around a lot, and maybe they cast you in crowd scenes or on a street scene, and you just wait around a lot until the director gives you your time in the sun. And yet in the world of extras, there's better parts that actually get paid more. So my friend had an opportunity to do some of these. You get to stand closer to the main actor and maybe laugh or react to something they say, and, and you get paid a lot more to just to do that. And then there's these other extras that seem to graduate to getting a casting director, and suddenly they're getting speaking roles and getting credited in films. They get paid quite a bit more. So I found that my friend was always somewhere in that journey, sort of on that trajectory, not quite where he wanted to be, but sort of always sort of straining to get ahead and probably envious about the roles that he didn't quite have. And I'm not sure if that led him to to feeling ashamed of not being enough to be there, but I just saw him on that journey. And certainly there's there's a good path that gets us striving for more, but there's also that sort of line in the sand that once we cross it and it turns into envy, it tends to sort of ruin and sort of destroy what we do have and the accomplishments we have enjoyed. So I remember in conversations with him, I'd sort of help him to to sort of have a conversation and say, you know, remember yourself a year ago, you didn't even live here. You, you would be envious of what you're doing now. So I found myself, as best I could, trying to help him see his current situation with fresh perspective. So a question I'll, I'll ask in different ways this morning is, how does envy show up in your life? Is it perhaps in the hobbies you pursue or, or in your work or in your family setting What is it for you? We all seem to have it. There's yet something sneaky and insidious about it. As I said, these these new things we have tend to, the thrill of the new thing tends to dissipate and sort of leaving us wanting more and more and more without end. It seems like this treadmill. And we think that getting the thing we think we want will fill that need, and it just doesn't. 
So as you can tell, and as we've said, we're, we're talking about envy here in week four of this series about encountering shame, about becoming our true self, overcoming shame. And today, we're talking about overcoming envy will help free us from shame. So as one of the guides to this tricky topic, as we do, I want to turn in the Bible. So we'll be looking at a scripture today in 1 Samuel chapter 18. And it's this uh, story of a well-known char- couple characters of King Saul and later to be King David. And as we read this story, it's good to note, as in most of, or let's say all of the Bible, it's mature reading. It's full of these gritty themes where real people are struggling with with, with greed, with malice, with envy. Of course, there's these characters that show us love and trust and all this, but it's so full of the range of who we are that at least it comforts me that we can bring all of who we are to what is in the Bible. We can bring our full selves to God. That is the invitation. So as we begin reading this chapter, it's good to note that the, the very famous story has just happened. Young David, the boy, has just killed the giant Goliath. And so then we fast forward now to the king's throne room and see what happens next. Let's read verse 5. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, that's the giant, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and joyful songs with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain, this refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but with me only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. So I think before we go any further, it's helpful to define what do we mean by envy? What do we mean by shame? So as it says, uh, I believe I have a slide for that, envy is the resentful feeling that someone else has it better than me. You ever felt that? Someone else has it better than me. And then it's the slope, this tricky slope that can lead to shame. They're connected. Shame is that feeling that I am not enough. So where envy is this sort of outward comparison with what people have or what people are doing and focuses on our outer circumstances, Shame is more focused on our internals. I am not enough. And it's so tricky that the externals of what we do or have can translate to inside to what I am or am not. So like I said, in my my friend with his acting career, I'm not sure how shame was attached. I didn't ask him that, but certainly this envy can lead to shame. And I suspect that not just him, but many of us or many people out there in whatever career or field sort of face this trajectory. It just sneaks up on us. In Saul's case, his journey, his trajectory towards envy started very early in his career. Early into his reign, you may know the story, Saul uh, misstepped in in a, a significant way and was told and reminded that his kingship was coming to an end. He had he had departed from the Lord's mandate for him. And so what Paul, uh, Saul seems to do is he descends into this, 
this sort of trajectory of being a suspicious and a jealous man. Right there in verse 8 and 9, it had said Saul was very angry. All that seemed to take him was the refrain of a, of a song. Maybe it was a popular song in the day, but this caused him anger. He didn't like that young David was gaining more notoriety, more success than he had. And it says he kept a close eye on David. So you see that his, he's got this internal set point that's now locked on, on envy and comparison. It's this negative direction. If we kept reading, which we will, we see that Saul's envy takes a vicious turn and, and starts down a very negative path. In verse 10, it says this, The next day an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. So just to pause for a sec, one writer said, you know, this is not likely godly prophecy. This is some, some sort of maybe uh, utterance or ecstatic utterance under the influence of an evil spirit. We don't know. But then what happens next? It says, Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. If you kept reading from Monitor, you'll see there's a, a pattern that develops. Saul continually makes attempts on David's life. This path of envy leads him down a murderous uh, trajectory. It's horrible as David rises to prominence. In terms of this trajectory and where it, where it begins, there was a 2003 study uh, about fair wages, and it was done on capuchin monkeys. So Sarah Brosnan and uh, Franz de Waal do this experiment, and you can read about it or see it even on YouTube. It's called Monkeys Reject Unequal Pay. So in the experiment, you have two capuchin monkeys side by side in cages. It's a very funny video if you watch it. And so the experimenter is simply putting a rock in their cage, and if they hand the rock back, they get a cucumber. So she's sort of doing it side by side, rock cucumber, rock, cucumber. And apparently the monkeys will do this all day long because, hey, they can get fed if they give the stone. But then halfway through the experiment, the, the researcher, in view of both monkeys, starts giving one monkey grapes instead of the cucumber. Meanwhile, the other one's just getting cucumber. And you see it in, in the first round of it, the, the monkey with the cucumber, he's, just, he's doing this, all the stuff we would do. He actually reaches out of the cave and throws it at the, at the uh, researcher. He shakes his cage, and the experimenter just keeps doing it. He can't see, he can't stand seeing the monkey right beside him getting something better than he is for the same effort. So we might, we might think we are superior to capuchin monkeys, right? I'm not sure. Because <laughs> maybe we can remember a moment in our own lives, if we're honest, if we, if we would think about it, where we were like that. Maybe a neighbor pulls up in a vehicle that is sort of uh, shiny and sparkly to us, and suddenly the vehicle we're driving just doesn't look quite as shiny. I actually had this scenario happen to me just yesterday. As I shared earlier in the summer, I, a friend of mine, we each bought a used motorcycle this summer. They do the trick, nice and cheap, get us around, lots of fun. What did we do yesterday? We rode over to the Harley dealership, you know, just to look at the shinier bikes and sunny day. Literally within minutes, we were looking through the window and talking about, oh, those have more power, those features. And knowing that I was preparing this, I said, oh, man, envy, right? And we had a little chat about it. Just, just like that, the awesome bike we rolled in on 
wasn't quite good enough uh, as the new bikes. So it's not if this will happen to us, but it's when. I read in a Forbes article that apparently men and women statistically experience this differently. So if you're, if you're a man, the stats say that you may envy greater access to financial resources, ownership of a status item, that happened to me, greater academic success, superior athletic talent, or success attracting a romantic partner. Whereas if you're a female, physical attractiveness, popularity, social ease, being from a prominent family, having better clothing. So apparently there's a range, and I'm sure there's a range in there of how all sorts of folks experience envy. So in a moment, uh, through in the middle of the sermon, I'm going to give us a chance to just open up to God. What is it that sort of pokes at us? What is it that then leads us to shame that says maybe I don't have enough or I'm not doing enough that leads me to feeling I'm not enough? You see, because if we, if, if we can go there with God, we can, we can have a chance at getting around that, that poisonous quality because if left unaddressed, it just blossoms like, like spores. Proverbs 14, verse 30 says it like this. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. So having tranquility and, and satisfaction leads, leads to... Um, leads your heart to have life. Envy in that path, like we saw in Saul's life, leads us to almost rot from the inside out as we sort of wrestle and and envy on the inside. It steals our joy. And like I said, it it poisons us. It spreads. And it leads to other things, to ungratefulness, to discontentment, to judgment, to malice, to slander. James 3.16 says it this way, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist there will be disorder and every vile practice. Every vile practice. I I don't know if you've ever experienced uh, a group of people maybe slipping towards that. Maybe it's in a work setting or or in a school setting. I saw my son going through this in a a group of friends. There was sort of an issue of envy and, and just the way relationships fell apart. Every vile practice as these things take root in the human heart. Another author Craig Groeschel said it this way, envy is when you resent God's goodness in other people's lives and ignore God's goodness in your own life. So there it is. Apparently, it stems from a spiritual problem and it arises from a spiritual misfocus and it has to do with ignoring God's goodness. So what can we do? It's a big problem. What can we do? Well, there's actually another character in the drama of Saul and David that we haven't read about yet that helps us towards, I think, the solution. So we need to look at the first four verses of the chapter, and we're going to meet Jonathan, uh, who is the king's son. Again, this has happened just after young David has killed the giant. We read, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one with him in spirit with David. And he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. So there's Jonathan, the king's own son, the one that should have or could have been in line for the throne. 
essentially he's giving over uh, a symbolic gesture the kingship. He's giving over all the tools and trade and, and ownership rights of the throne to this, uh, to this David. He enters into deep friendship. He does this because he is on a path of love, not something he inherited from his father, but likely something that stemmed from his relationship with God. He chooses a path of love. And in doing so, Jonathan is this picture, as we see so often in the Old Testament, a picture of Jesus himself of choosing love over the other negative paths that could be chosen. In Philippians 2, it says it so beautifully in the poem. It says, Jesus, who is in the very nature God, took on the form of a servant, making himself nothing, giving up all the benefits of heaven out of love. He sacrificed himself to make space for us in God's throne room, just like Jonathan. Jesus shows us that way. And it's just like Jonathan, just like Jesus. God has that path for us. So as I said earlier, I want to I help us for a, just a few minutes to reflect on that path, of joining that path, no matter where we may be stuck on that envy path. So we're, I'm just going to lead us in a, a simple prayer exercise, just right where we sit. And I, I think it was very helpful to me as I did this this week. We're going to do it in two parts. So just right where you're sitting, I'm going to invite you just for a moment to just, as you sit there, uh, maybe close your eyes. And I'll just sort of guide us through a few words. You can maybe place your hands open in your lap. As I said, close your eyes. We're going to take in two breaths and just become aware that we are sitting in God's presence. Now for for a moment as you sit in God's presence. I want to invite you before the Lord to admit things that cause you envy and lead you to shame. Maybe it's competition or, or desire. And as you name these things one by one, would you just curl your fingers inward? I'll give you a few, uh, just a moment to sit there with the Lord. Now, remaining as you are with your eyes closed, maybe just notice the position of your hands. You, you might find that they're more balled up because you've curled your fingers inward. Notice, notice how that makes you feel. Because next, I'm going to invite us to do the opposite. I want to invite you to think of 10 things that you're grateful for. Maybe they stem from those areas of envy, or, or maybe they're from something else, something that you truly want to give God thankfulness for each time you name one of these things, would you open up a finger? Again, let me give you a moment of quiet to do that before the Lord.
you to open your eyes. Maybe pay attention to, to how that made you feel. And in that short time of prayer, I, I hope, as the Lord does, he, he did just a little, you did a little bit of business with him, and you, you felt him near you as you, you named things you envy, and as a, then you named things you're thankful for, and just, again, noticing that it opened your hands, it opened, hopefully, your heart to say, Lord, in the midst of all I could be envious and shame, feeling shame about, I am grateful. This is something you could do in the week. You could do it on the bus. You could do it at work, at home, wherever you are. You could sort of practice this gratitude because it's one of the big antidotes to, the, to this envy and shame we face is, is gratitude. There's been lots of writing and study about it, and I want to uh, commend it to you. So thankfulness. And the second one, I believe, as we saw in Jonathan's life, stems from thankfulness, and it's love, the choice to love. When we make that habit of thankful prayer, I believe that God turns our heart towards love. He helps us pray for the situations or pray for the people that, that cause us envy and that leads us to shame. I had a, an experience of it that I was reflecting on over the, the past couple of years. I was in a, a work ministry setting, and, um, you know, things were going along. The, the ministry was in a, a major transition time. And one thing I noticed, maybe it was just me that noticed it, I felt that one of our colleagues was getting promoted it wasn't done in a clear way where everyone sort of saw something clear happening, but I would say slowly this, this happened where this person being uh, working quite well with one of the supervisors sort of was given more roles, uh, more of a seat at the decision table in a time of great change. Notice for his skills. And so I started noticing something happening in me. There was, there was no malice involved in the situation, but what had been happening in my life is, is I had also been having conversations with the supervisor and, and you know, wondering if I could have an expanded role, have a seat at the decision table. But whereas it wasn't happening for me, it was happening for my friend. So on my bad days, I would notice that this caused things in me. I felt that I could have taken something like Saul's path because the, whether it wasn't physical spears I was throwing, there was just this temptation to have those spears of comparison or, or, or pull people aside and have complaint, like, do you see what's happening over here? But instead, on my better days, what I noticed is God thankfully started to nudge me to, to pray for him and to pray for the situation. So instead of sort of spears of envy and competition and jealousy, I noticed myself more uh, able to, to compliment him. Hey, you actually, you're doing a great job. Your skills are such a great match for, for what we're doing. I was able to advocate for him uh, in front of that and other supervisors. I really believe this person deserved and did get an expanded role. And interestingly, in that whole process, I came to realize, hey, I think I need to look elsewhere. So that was its own realization, freeing me from holding so tight and, and taking a path of love, even for myself, to say, okay, Lord, what's next for me if it isn't here? I read this week in Ken's book that love is the opposite of envy. You cannot feel both love and envy at the same time. So I, I just found that as I, as I turned to thankfulness and prayer for my friend, love took over, and I didn't have room in my heart for envy so as we do this, as we become, we become people of love, we start to emulate what that famous verse says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, love, here it is, 
Oh, that's the wrong slide. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I've quoted it so often in weddings. It talks about uh, becoming people of peace rather than envy. Love does not boast. Love does not envy, but it, it, it leads to this, to this peace. And that is where the Lord wants to take us. He wants us to be more like Jonathan and less like Saul. Since we all deal with envy that leads to shame, that's, in a sense, good news because we can all open ourselves to the antidote. And wouldn't it be amazing if we, as we practice this, that this was the thing we could bring to our friends and family, to our workplace, as we become a person transformed in, out of this, this pit into this light? Wouldn't that be great news? I just think the world is suffering from this, and we could be examples as we first live it. What a great invitation. So I really want to invite you this week to, as you've just done here, as you've allowed the Lord to examine your heart, practice prayer and see what God would do as he transforms your heart, as he sends you out into being a person of love, into the very, uh, the very real situations you face. Let's get on with this important work that Jesus has for us, this very transformation uh, that can start with us and lead to the world around us. So I'm going to pray for us as we finish and, and note that what Lindsay mentioned, I will be available if you'd like to pray with me after. You can feel free to pray with me there. But let me pray for us all together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this powerful word in Scripture, this story of real people taking different paths, one's towards envy, the other towards love. And you've invited us, us this morning on our own path to realize, to admit where we are and to come back to you. You see us in our shame and you don't reject us, Lord. You love us and you lead us to be the person that you've designed us to be. So I pray that for my friends this week, that you would lead us on your good path, your path of power and love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.